want to invite uh, you to give your attention to the reading of God's Word from Isaiah chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. God, we thank you for Jesus the King. And we pray that today uh, we would see his beauty and his glory and his majesty and his worthiness of all our praise whether that's for the first time or for the millionth time in our lives. And we ask that you would do this in his name and for his sake. Amen. Uh, I uh, saw an Instagram post yesterday that said, it's okay if it's not the most wonderful time of the year. Now, I know the person who posted this. Uh, He's an old friend of mine. And I also know some of the horrible things that he has been through. And why he might be posting something like that. And maybe you need to hear that this morning. Because the pressure to be happy on Christmas is pretty intense. And it's intense for weeks and weeks and weeks leading up to Christmas Day. There's all the parties. There's all the parades. There's all the caroling. There's all the diamonds or forever commercials. There's all the new car in the driveway of the mansion commercials. With the snow falling in the background and the beautiful couple, like, just enjoying life together. And they all feel like they're trying to cram happiness down your throat. But what if you're not happy? What if Christmas is a ginormous struggle for you? What if, in the words of Charlie Brown, I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel? This is my first Christmas without him or without her. Or, oh great, another Christmas, and I'm still single. Or still no kids. Or how about, this has been the worst year of my life. These aren't happy things. These are very hard things. And when we face hard things, we we tend to go one of two ways. Some of us go the way of denial. Let's not talk about this, let's just have a a good time. And uh, we end up becoming 
sort of like Will Ferrell on Elf. You know, I like smiling. Smiling's my favorite. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's hopeful, but it's not very honest about what's going on in our lives. And then there is the way of despair. The world is unfair, it is unjust, and there is not a darn thing anyone can do about it. And you become cynical and maybe even resentful of those who seem happy. And you see, the one way is hopeful but not honest. The other way is, is honest but not hopeful. And the question is, is there a way to be both? You know, my friend who posted that Instagram meme added this comment. There is hope possible even still. It's okay if it's not the most wonderful time of the year. There is hope possible even still. Why is that the case? Well, because Christmas is about light breaking in to the darkness. We're looking at a famous Christmas passage this morning. Maybe the most famous of all. I mean, Handel sung about it. And it's not that Handel made this famous. This passage made Handel famous. Uh, Christmas cards already give away the secret of it, right? Everyone knows where this passage is heading, that it's going to Jesus. And that's what we're going to end up talking about. But you have to remember that for hundreds of years, this passage was a flash of light in the darkness. And it was a promise and not yet a reality. And that's going to be very important. So what I want to do this morning is kind of walk through this passage and, uh, and follow where it leads us. And I want to begin with this one simple truth. And that is this. The darkness is real. But there is a light that shines in the darkness. Right? The darkness is real in your life. You, no one needs to tell you anything different. There is real darkness. It's not just in your head, despite what some philosophies and psychologies want to say. That you could shoo it away with certain techniques and practices of meditation or just brain rewiring. There is real darkness out there. And when it becomes most troubling is when it gets in here and you go dark inside. But you know, the darkness was real for Israel in Isaiah's day. Israel had fallen into hard-hearted disobedience to God. <clears throat> Been unfaithful to their covenant with Yahweh. And it was, it was classified as spiritual adultery. Pretty serious offense. They were bringing dishonor and disrepute on God's name among the nations. So God brought the judgments of the covenant upon Israel at the hands of the Assyrians. And it was dark. And what you find is Israel is both victim and villain in these circumstances. Culpable for her behavior, but also experiencing the darkness of oppression. The darkness of invasion. The darkness of being under unjust rule of another nation. And Isaiah chapter 1 through 8 describes a people devolving into deeper darkness. In fact, it had gotten so bad that they were pursuing alternative spiritualities. Like consulting mediums and trying to contact the dead. Turning away from the word of Yahweh, it says in chapter 8 verse 20. 
They were desperate, but in their desperation, they were going deeper into darkness. And then right at the beginning of chapter 9, God promises a great light piercing into the darkness. Notice how it reads. There will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. In the place of great gloom, there is going to come great joy. And he gives us a geographical note about it. Zebulun and Naphtali, those, those were the northern uh, parts of of, of Israel, and they were the first stop for invading armies. And those regions had been absolutely decimated by the march of the Assyrians. But God says, Guess what? I'm going to start my great reversal right here. And this great reversal is a cause for great celebration as he describes it in verse 3 and following. He's going to multiply the gladness. He says it's going to be like the joy of a harvest festival, like Oktoberfest, like gladness at the harvest season. It's going to be like the joy of victory after a war when you divide the spoil. It's going to be every kind of joy you can conceive of. And all of this gladness is going to be before him. It says before you in the text, meaning in his presence, the gladness giver. And why are they glad? Well, they've been liberated. This is spoken of in the past tense as as if it's as good as done, although it had not happened yet. And he draws upon all this imagery from Israel's deliverance from Egypt. Yahweh will shatter all the hardware of slavery. He's going to remove the rod of oppression. He's going to take away the staff that's bearing down on the shoulder. He's going to take off the yoke of the burden that is upon them and pressing them down. And he says he will do this as on the day of Midian. Now, if you're familiar with Bible stories, uh, this is a story that comes from Judges chapter 6 through 8. So pull that up from your memory banks if you got it. Israel defeated the Midianites with a puny little posse. It's one of these stories in which it, it has an only Yahweh explanation of how God shows up and does what would be impossible for people to do for themselves. And he goes on to describe this great day of this light piercing into the darkness as, 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 it, as, it, as if like the, the, all the combat boots and the ammunition vests are, are up in smoke. The war is over forever. Every garment rolled in blood burned as fuel for the fire. And what you have to recognize is this. This light breaking in the darkness was a word of grace to God's people. Saying, Yahweh is a God who refuses to let go of his faithless people. We may break our promises. He will never, ever break his. The darkness is real, but there is a light that shines in the darkness. Now, here's the most important part of this passage. And this is the second thing I want to talk about. The light that he talks about is a who, not a what. Verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Isaiah is announcing the birth of a king. A great king. 
A king like no other king before or after. And how do we know that? We'll just look at what he is called. He, is call, he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, it is true that it was common in the ancient world for kings to be given exalted titles, called throne names, right? But the titles that are given to this king go far beyond any ordinary king. And by the way, this is written some 650 to 700 years before the birth of Jesus. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, don't think Camp Counselor here, because that's not the idea. The counselor in mind here is a strategist. One who has the wisdom to navigate any circumstance and can discern the right path at any time. And Wonderful is an acclamation of the supernatural. It's how it's used throughout the Old Testament. And this is how Yahweh himself is described a little later in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 28, verse 29, Yahweh is described as, He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. This king that will be born is a wonderful counsel. He's also mighty God. And once again, this is how Yahweh is described a little later in the book of Isaiah. Chapter 10, verse 21, Israel, it is said, will return to Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel, to the mighty God. Mighty is the Hebrew word gibor. It means a champion or a hero, a warrior who wins the battle, someone who fights the battle on behalf of his people. This king is hero God, champion God. This king is also everlasting father. Kings were often talked about as fathers in the ancient world when they exercised care and protection for their people. But this king, this king is always a father, forever a father. And prince of peace, not just inner peace, but peace in a nasty world. Peace in a world of oppression and violence and war. A peace, by the way, that presupposes victory. When all opposition is taken out of way. This king is a king who establishes peace. Shalom through his victory. I mean, his rule is incredible. It will be covenantal. He will reign on the throne of David just as God promised, it says. It will be just. He will exercise his rule in justice and righteousness. Good in every way. All corruption and injustice gone and over forever. And get this, it will be final. Of his government and peace, there will be no end. His reign will be from this time forth and forevermore. No king in Israel was ever able to step into these shoes. Until one day, the shoe fit. Now you know where this is going, but before we get there, would you linger with me for a moment? On how this is the king who meets our deepest needs. Why is that the case? Well, our wisdom has failed us. Our wisdom, it turns out, is pretty foolish. We're actually not very good at running the world. In fact, we're pretty terrible. The wisdom of the world says, follow your heart, do what makes you happy. But in AA meetings all across America, we find people stepping up and saying, didn't make me happy. Didn't make me happy. 
The best the world has to offer still hasn't figured out how to be prepared for death or how to reconcile with enemies through repentance and forgiveness of sins. Sin makes us fools. But the wonderful counselor will make us wise. Not just our wisdom has failed us, our strength has failed us. And even religious strength. You know, mere religion says, it's up to you. Here's the code. Here's the practices. Here's the things to do. Go do them. And I think that's why so many people who regularly go to church with a just religious mindset are exhausted and critical and cranky. Because if it's all up to you, pretty soon you discover the end of your strength and resolve and dedication. But when the mighty God shows up, you discover your enemies have been vanquished before you've even stepped onto the battlefield. You didn't do anything. He did it for you because he is your champion and he is your hero. Or how about this one? For so many of us, we had, we had hoped that there would be someone who would watch over us and protect us. But they have failed us. I know some of us have had good fathers, but many of us have had rotten ones. We're no real father at all. This king is everlasting father, always a father, forever a father, and the father that you need. John Fountain uh, is an African-American professor, used to be at the University of Illinois in Champaign, I believe. Uh, But a little over a decade ago, there was an NPR episode called All Things Considered. And uh, the title of it was The God Who Embraced Me. And John Fountain uh, grew up in inner city Chicago in very, very difficult circumstances. And this is what he says. He says, I believe in God, not that cosmic intangible spirit in the sky, but the God who embraced me when daddy disappeared from our lives. From my life at age four, the night police led him away from our front door, down the stairs in handcuffs. And he goes on to describe his experience of a God who became father to him. And he writes, I always envied boys I saw walking hand in hand with their fathers. I thirsted for the conversations that fathers and sons have about the birds and the bees and about nothing at all. Simply feeling his breath, his heartbeat, his presence. As a boy, I used to sit on the front porch watching the cars roll by, imagining that one day one would park and the man getting out would be my daddy. But it never happened. When I was 18, I could find no tears that Alabama's winter's evening in January 1979 as I stood finally face to face with my father lying cold in a casket his eyes sealed, his heart no longer beating, his breath forever stilled. Killed in a car accident, he died drunk, leaving me hobbled by the sorrow of years of fatherlessness. But then John Fountain says this, It wasn't until many years later, standing over my father's grave for a long overdue conversation, that my tears flowed. I told him about the man I'd become. I told him about how much I wished he had been in my life. And I realized fully that in his absence, I had found another, or rather, that he, God the Father, God my Father, had found me. Friends, no matter what your experiences have been of an earthly father, this king is the king who lets us know God as Father. 
Someone tender where we are vulnerable and bruised. Someone who watches over us all the days of our lives. Our wisdom has failed us. Our strength has failed us. Those we've counted on to protect and care for us have failed us. Finally, our peace has failed us. Our peace often is at best a ceasefire. Or just a temporary reprieve in the midst of the chaos. But this king will establish peace, wholeness, shalom forever. God has sent his prophet Isaiah to proclaim a light in the darkness. And this light is a person, a king like no other king. Whose son is this king? Well, this, this king will be the son of God. This is God rolling up his sleeves and coming in the person of his son to do what we can't do for ourselves. You know, um, from time to time, you may have had this experience in your home growing up, or maybe it's going on right now, but uh, you're upstairs, the kids are downstairs, or maybe they're in the basement, and uh, things are getting a little out of hand, and so you open the door and you yell down there, you're like, everybody needs to share, right? You're imparting your wisdom from above down into the below, right? And of course, it doesn't work, right? And so it goes on for a little longer, it gets a little louder, and then you... Do it a second time. You say, everybody take a turn, right? And uh, once again, that doesn't fix it. And so what do you always say or what is always said when it's finally escalated to emergency proportions? Don't make me come down there, right? (laughs) You got to show up in person. And friends, listen, this prophecy of Isaiah is God saying, you screwed up the world so bad. I'm going to have to come in and rescue. And that's exactly what he's done. Because the good news we celebrate on Christmas is this. The light that shines in the darkness. That light has come. When you read in Luke chapter 1, the announcement of the birth of Jesus. This is what it says. And listen closely to the words. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city Where? Of Galilee, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of whose house? The house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom There will be no end. This is the birth that we gather to celebrate. The birth of the great king. And you know what? When when Jesus begins his ministry, do you know what Matthew does in Matthew chapter 4? Is he actually quotes Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. He says, when he heard that Jesus, uh, John had been arrested, 
Jesus withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet of Isaiah might be filled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And not only that, but in the middle of Jesus' ministry, he says to his disciples before the crowds, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But then the most incredible and surprising thing happens. The light of the world ends up on a cross. Snuffed out. By the darkness. Why is that the case? You know why that's the case? Because this was God's wisdom, which is foolishness to the world. Because this was God's vanquishing of the real enemies of sin and death. Because this was the revelation of the Father's heart for his people. And because this was the victory, the only victory. That would bring about lasting peace. Friends, Jesus is the king we need. He is the light shining in the darkness. He is a light defeating the darkness. The light has come, friends. And the light says he is coming again. And the fullness of everything promised will be ours. The people of Israel's day, of Isaiah's day, waited hundreds of years and they got The birth of Jesus, who inaugurated the the, the kingdom of God and brought an end to the penalty of sin, the life of his people. And this Jesus rose again after dying on the cross and says, I'm coming again. And he wants his people to wait. So can you be honest and hopeful? Yes, you can. Because the darkness is real, but there is a light that shines in the darkness. And that light is a person, the Son of the Most High. And that person has come and is coming again. And so we can be real about the darkness in the world. But we can be hopeful because there is a light that defeats the darkness. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word and uh, how it speaks to the depths of our need. We thank you for who you are in all your glory and majesty and righteousness and justice and truth and mercy and grace. And we praise you, King Jesus, that you are the king that we need. You are the king who does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. You are the king who gathers us up and begins to reorder our loves and our lives around your purposes. And those purposes are for our good. So would you be with us today? Would you help us to celebrate your birth? The moment at which the great promise became a reality. And would you help us to wait for the day when all things are made new and your reign 
is perfectly manifest. We ask all of this in Jesus' name.